0: Welcome to another episode of Sustainable Goat. I'm Steve Cassingham, and I interview the greatest of all time in the sustainability space. In this week's episode, we are talking electric yachts. When it comes to sustainability, yachting usually is the last thing that people mention when it comes to being sustainable. But that narrative is changing thanks to Soul Yachts. David Chopp, founder of Soul Yachts, has been working on electric propulsion systems his entire career, so I'm really excited about this one. Let's dive right in.
1: I guess uh, the fascination for um, for yeah, basically electric boats started quite early um, when um, when I was first taken on a on a on an electric boat uh, on a Bavarian lake, and um, I was five years old. The boat had 400 watts, and you could literally see the uh, the fascination in my eyes. Um, that there was no smell, no, no noise, no exhaust. Um, little did I know about exhaust at that time of course, but uh, anyway, um, and this is uh, more than 30 years ago. So um, after that, uh, yeah doing plenty of, of sailing trips um, with uh, particularly my dad and, and he taught me how to sail. I, um, I really got to to love uh, or oh, I found my love for the ocean and um, the way of sustainable, transport on the ocean because yeah sailing is the the ultimate way to do this just using the wind and um uh, yeah being an avid sailor you always say that motorboats are uh, are yeah are stupid they're just uh <laughs> you, you can't really do, you can't do really anything on them um uh, but a, an electric uh, motorboat is the closest you can get to sailing without all the hassles of uh, of sailing. So it's coincidence that, um, yeah, after studying naval architecture, I didn't end up designing or, or uh, engineering sailing yachts. It, uh, it just coincidentally came on my path to, to pursue the electric uh, side of the boats and... Um, Though I love uh, sailing very much, uh, yeah, the, the electric motorboat is kind of the, the most
0: difficult one to achieve. So I like challenges, that's the one <laughs> I went for. When you went to school for naval architecture, what was the focus? Was it, we're designing yachts that are combustion engines, we're designing sail? So, like, what was that education like? Because did they have something having to do with electric or was that kind of something you did on your own time?
1: The um, course of naval architecture at the uh, Delft University of Technology is a very renowned one. It's it's quite an old study, and it's the only one in the Netherlands that you can follow for for this particular course um, on a university level. Um, but this is a very good question you're asking because it was totally contrary to what I had expected. Um, or what was the reason at that time why I came to the Netherlands to to pursue this study? Um, I mean, all the famous uh, yacht architects—they come—they uh, they are Dutch. Uh, whether it's uh, Jared Dijkstra um, or any of the other famous ones here, um, yeah. And and of course the uh, the big super yacht builders, um, a lot of them are are Dutch uh, companies. So it, I was really, um, uh, yeah, not disappointed but I was surprised by the fact that um, the study at the university didn't go into that area of uh, of this industry at all um, to to go a little bit deeper on that um, the study, is a tiny study i mean there's 30 people uh, roughly a year and you know everybody likes your classmate which is fantastic um but of course there's there's a limited number of professors and at the time i was at the university um the average age of the professors was well above uh, 60. and um, that meant that there were certain uh, ideas about how shipbuilding should be and um yeah if, if we mentioned uh, or if we discussed um aluminum or even composites yeah that's that's mm-hmm. not really the field of expertise for uh, for this study um it's a much more traditional uh, way of, of looking at the industry there was even one professor that's that wasn't there anymore but he kind of set the tone for the, for the years when i was there who said that yacht building is not ship building so yacht building got completely neglected um which is a shame because it's the second biggest industry of the of the netherlands when looking at the whole maritime sector um so yeah but that's that's just how things work (laughs) and if it's a small uh, small group of people then um then yeah it's 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 how things work out so in the in the third year um i participated in one of these uh, student projects where we build a a race boat uh, with with solar cells um charging a battery and then that powering a motor and um, i was fascinated by that project because it literally brought together all the disciplines of what i was fascinated uh, with all along anyway Um, and it was new and cool so um, i joined that team uh, was in charge of the propulsion system and um, partially the hull design and um, that race was a five-day race, um, 220 kilometers in total uh, in the northern province of uh, Friesland here in the Netherlands. And um, yeah, we won that with a 10-hour advantage. So from that day onwards, it was literally clear for me that I had to do something with this because clearly there was something there. So that's um, that's the foundation of uh, of when I started my company.
0: What do you think was that edge that you guys had for 10 hours? Was it the design of the electric engine? Was it the design of the whole? Was it the whole package? Because um, 10 hours is a lot. And I don't know if it was, you know, way out at sea, or if it was kind of loops.
1: Uh, it's on the canals. And to answer your question, what made it possible to, to have such a big gap between the first and the second? If we look back now, the common idea of a of a solar boat in that time, and we're talking two thousand. 2004, 2005, 2006 was two canoes tied together and some uh, Dy uh, solar panel tied on on top on on some structure and and then yeah, uh, literally put a, a 200 watt or 400 watt or whatever uh, motor uh, somehow or even use a battery powered drill <laughs> and, <laughs> and propel the thing. So that was kind of the state of the of the general uh, perception of how a solar electric boat could look like. And uh, we did something radically different. We did two things. Um, We designed a hull that was specifically made for electric propulsion and the race. And we designed a propulsion system integrally uh, for this hull and the race uh, specific requirements. So these are literally the two fundamentals um, of what we use today in, in in the company as well, because Nothing has uh, changed from from that perspective. It's still dedicated design of the of the hull shapes for electric propulsion, and it's integrally approached systems turnkey for the operational profile that the user wants and the hull shape. So I guess this is the winning combination because we didn't tie any existing boat uh, together with a solar panel and, and and called it a solar boat. That's not what we did, of course from the, interestingly enough, in the US, you already had a racing scene in electric boats and that's called the solar splash. I'm not sure whether it still exists, Um, but the solar splash is something else. Uh, They use land-based PV panels that they just put on the grass or somewhere where the boat is uh, when it's outside of the water. They charge it up, then they decouple the solar panels and they put the boat in the water and then they, it's like a drag race, they just do a short run as as fast as possible. So you're literally emptying out the entire battery energy within a couple of seconds. Um, and the the project in the Netherlands, they wanted to do a marathon race. So 220 kilometers in total. So which was much more an endurance race rather than a sprinting race uh, like the solar mm-hmm. splashes. So there was there were a couple of teams from the US as well. Um, but they, yeah, they, they didn't have a dedicated boat design Um, they did have a a, a nicely developed electric outboard that they had done of course when we look back now in time it's it's, uh, crazy it's all duct tape and stuff you know student stuff but um, it worked they were uh, one of the few who actually made it to the finish line because out of the 30 participants i think 20 in total just broke on the way but that's not an unusual thing if you have to cover 220 kilometers
0: So how does that work when it comes to boat design? So how how would a whole shape differ for an electric propelled yacht versus combustion? Well, um, combustion is uh,
1: a technology that has been around for a very long time and it's, it's commonly available. Uh, you have plenty of models to choose from. And what you mainly see these design decisions is all right let's let's just go for the bigger engine because it has 50 horse more or whatever it it weighs only 10 kilos more something like that usually all combustion engine powered boats are actually overpowered because it's a convenient thing to just say yeah right if i need the reserve i have it this is very easy to do with combustion engine propelled vessels because you can just go to the to the gas station and refuel when the when your when your tank is empty. But normally, you I mean you barely find somebody uh, uh, full throttling a boat. It's usually at a 75 or 80 uh, percent duty of the engine, and 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 the cruising speed is mostly even lower. Certainly in private applications, that means you're you're driving around with an engine that is capable of so much more, but you don't. You barely use it, very rarely. That means you have the power. You can quickly go on a plane, uh, planing mode and then reduce throttle and and you're just cruising along. So the classic design is a dead rise uh, design where you have planing chimes and then a dead rise in the stern. And yeah, that's that's a classic combustion engine hull shape, uh, which has the most buoyancy in the back because that's where the heavy diesel inboard or, or gasoline or, or an outboard is situated with electric propulsion, you have a totally different weight balance. I mean, look at the, I use Tesla again, look at how their platform works. The weight is perfectly distributed because the battery weight is uh, in the double bottom of the, of the chassis. So the center of gravity is much lower than any other uh, combustion engine powered car. And it's literally centered because it's distributed across the entire uh, chassis. The battery pack is literally the the double bottom of the chassis. So um, you have a very well balanced uh, system. Now the same applies to electric boats. So you literally need different hull lines. If you design for, uh, for electric propulsion, than if you design for combustion engines, it's, it's a fundamentally different uh, approach.
0: Interesting. So when you're when you're looking to design, I mean, everybody thinks that you can almost take like the same application of, you know, Tesla onto the water, why not put the battery just on the bottom, Um, which theoretically is would work from that standpoint. But what about when it comes to actual power? So like, you can't just take an electric yacht and throw down the power and you're going, you know, zero to 60. And you know, three seconds, 2.9. So what does it look like solving the water problem of actually like displacing water?
1: Well, it's, it's indeed not uh, comparable to, to electric cars where it's all about the acceleration. Um, the difficult part to achieve with uh, boats is endurance um, because it's, it's very simple. Boats have a, a cubical resistance function, meaning if you want to go twice the speed, you need eight times the energy. And uh, naturally, uh, thus, if you are on higher speeds, you will chew through your battery, no matter how big it will be within pretty fast times uh, compared to the automotive world. So solving the hydrodynamic part of the equation is really down to finding the right compromise. And I say compromise because yacht design is all about finding the right compromise. There's never an ideal set up never because if you optimize it for for one particular bit you lose on the other end something else so you have to as a naval architect and as a system designer you have to literally find the right compromise between okay so what does the owner want how should the performance be and how should the hull shape integrate these two things because you have to think about just like walking paths is there enough width in the hull to to accommodate the the cabin layout is there, uh, but or is it too wide? Um, and are we are we making too many waves, uh, thus inducing too much resistance? It's it's all a trade-off. So it's about amenities on board. Uh, how luxurious should it all be? What's the customer experience on board? What does he expect? Is it purely commercial vessel, just from A to B, which can be quite low on the on luxury scale, or is it a private yacht where? Luxury is a much more important item, and, um, which means you make the boat much heavier. And when it's heavier, you need more power to propel it to the same speed as the lighter boat, meaning you have to take more batteries. It gets heavier again. There is a point where you enter a vicious circle, and it, there's no point anymore in increasing the battery pack, because that's the, the other standard question we get. Well, can I just increase the range by adding more batteries? Yes, you can to a certain point until you hit that boundary where you would need to increase your displacement again. And increased displacement means more resistance, means higher power demand. So a bigger bigger motor, and a bigger motor asks obviously for more power. So more power means more battery. So you're starting to spiral downwards into bigger and bigger systems, which don't make sense. So the most important part of our work is to find the right uh, compromises and optimize the performance of the vessel while still maintaining, uh, I would say, uh, 95% of the wishes of the customers.
0: Nice. Yeah. And, and I think that, that that's kind of one of the things that I think is missed when it comes to thinking about how to design. You know, there is always compromise. Like I, I come from the film background and there's no such thing as a perfect camera you have to make sacrifices. It could be in low light, great in low light, but doesn't work very well in photography. So it, there's just so many trade-offs that you have to take. And I think a lot of people just think more is better. Um, and I think that the approach that you guys have taken has just been different in such a way that you've been able to innovate in the space. I mean, the 10-hour lead that you had in, in an educational competition, essentially, um, I think proved that. And when, when you guys did win that, and you went, okay, I, I'm on to something. What were those next steps that you took to kind of turn it into something? Because, I mean, did you did you guys have to raise money? Did you guys test? I mean, what was that like trying to build a yacht company?
1: Very good question. What we did is we had a customer who early on in the project already said, well, this is great what you're doing. I'm, I'm sponsoring you by, let's say, a couple of hundred euros and because we were so quick during these race days and remember it's a, it's a five or it was a five day competition so per day we had two to three hours of, of real racing and then it was uh, repairs or uh, whatever mm-hmm. or waiting on the others and so uh, whenever we crossed the finish line uh, he came up to us because he followed us from each uh, <laughs> leg to to the next one and um, he said yeah can i can i have a go and we said yeah, why not? I mean, the battery is already charged again, and uh, yeah, have a go. So he um, he just had a go, and and he did that <laughs> at every finish. And then in the end, uh, after the race was done, he said, "Yeah, well, you know what? I have a I, I live by a, a river, or a lake, uh, basically twenty kilometer long old river lake which is closed off. So it or river arm, which which makes it a lake." And he said, "Yeah, I'd, I'd love to have one of these boats in my <laughs> just at the jetty of my house." And we said, "Well, okay, that's cool. Let's let's build a, a copy, but then professionally." So that was literally the first order <laughs> before we even in- were incorporated. But we had much bigger plans because we thought, "Well, okay, uh, a, a racing boat for uh, um, for your backyard is is nice, but we would like to go to places like Monaco and and show this technology." So. Mm. We had an idea uh, of building a 10-meter carbon fiber uh, version, uh, or basically a, a yacht version uh, of, a, of an electric boat that would be radically different, uh, implementing a lot of what we what we had invented or, or found uh, during that um, that student experience, and that turned uh, into the uh, the Cheers Mark One. Um, this is an electric speedboat. That we built in um, in 2007, designed it in, in 2006, and then demonstrated it at the 2008 uh, Monaco show. After uh, launching it here in the Netherlands in December 2007, this is a project obviously where you need a lot of money to to make it happen. I mean, carbon fiber <laughs> back in the days was and it still is quite an expensive material, but it needs to be lightweight to get high performance. So this boat achieves 30 knots. Um, solar electrically uh, obviously running then off the battery predominantly and and seven knots is the break-even speed so anything above seven knots you you start depleting the battery and anything up to seven knots you can run it off the solar array this is 12 o'clock high noon good sunshine Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously on a cloudy day it's different yeah, with this idea in, in, in our head, uh, we coincidentally um, were, I think we were picking up something or, or dropping off something at uh, one of the professors from the university. And he, his name is Bobo Ockels. He he died a couple of years ago because of cancer. Um, but he he was the first astronaut of the, of the Netherlands. So he's quite a well-known guy here, or was, and um, also internationally. And he was one of the big advocates for having this race in the Netherlands, uh, because he was very closely linked to the automotive uh, race competition, solar car competition in Australia, uh, where the uh, Delft University of Technology participated many, many times and won many, many times. So he thought, well, let's have such a race in the Netherlands and let's do it on the canals with boats instead of cars, because the car edition already exists in Australia. So we were dropping something off there um, and uh, he said, well, have you got any plans? So what, <laughs> what do you do next? And we just showed him a, a, a very early sketch of, of this 10 meter speedboat that we had envisioned. And his eyes started uh, uh, um, really uh, lighting up and, and um, he said, well, I'm going to call a friend of mine. He's the boss of the, uh, one of the banks here in the Netherlands, uh, the Rabobank. And so um it didn't take long. I mean it, again this is all pre-2008, so anything was possible. <laughs> so I think 3 weeks later we uh we were invited to his house in Amsterdam and there was this friend the one of the bosses of uh, of the Rabobank and we gave a presentation as as a uh, 22-year-old uh, students can do it. <laughs> when I look back at the presentation, I'm like, hmm, okay, how did we get this done? But anyway, they looked at each other after our 10-minute presentation and said, yeah, let's do it. So they um, they financed uh, that. And we even got a, a subsidy from the Dutch government, 50-50 uh, subsidy. So for every dollar spent, you get another dollar from the, from the government. Again, this is all... Back in the day when, it, when it was possible uh, after 2008 everything changed obviously and yeah so it, it didn't take uh, long uh, and we could start uh, literally the the proper engineering uh, the the drivetrain build and the build of the vessel
0: how did it feel how did it feel in that moment where i mean was it like a rush of like oh my god this is happening
1: it was the continuation of what we had done with the with the boat that we had already built uh, for the student team, but yes, on a different scale. Um, but the momentum never never died down. It was it was just increasing exponentially, uh, I would say. And um, yeah, that all led to uh, to the two thousand and eight Monaco show where we presented this boat. We never push the fact that it's electric or something that's just the cherry on top and there were plenty of uh, media that was covering it and and, uh, magazines were covering it playboy magazine called it the the best looking speedboat they had ever seen so we were like, okay, check, goal achieved. Um, <laughs> but now let's let's sell some. And um, yeah, then uh, then the Lehman Bank collapsed and the financial crisis hit, and uh, we literally shelved that idea because it was way too expensive. Uh, after the financial uh, collapse, the the market for it literally disappeared overnight. And wow. that's when I started focusing heavily on just the propulsion systems and further developing those. Uh, This is where then all the projects in the Pacific happened with the voyaging catamarans uh, that we did, a fleet of Polynesian voyaging catamarans, um, nine 22 meter vessels and seven uh, 17 meter vessels. And they're, they're all over the Pacific. Uh, this is obviously where we learned much, much more than you can learn in any climate chamber, because it's a real-life climate chamber <laughs> <laughs> when you are between uh, six-meter waves uh, on the open ocean. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the battery technology that we use today is, is literally based on what we, uh, what we did back then already. And to, to date, um, we've locked more than 500,000 nautical miles with
0: uh, with all these boats combined so um that's that's quite a lot of uh, nautical miles <laughs> yeah that's that's a ton of miles um might have to calculate how many times around the earth that is um
1: we did that some time ago it was or was it to the moon I, i'm not sure um <laughs> i think it was 17 times around the world wow. back when we had a counter for it but uh yeah this, <laughs> this is again some time ago and i'm pretty sure that. More miles have been added since, because yeah, these boats are used by local voyaging societies and uh, inter-island transportation. So.
0: so, what was that shift that you had to make? I mean, as the person running the company and and owning it, I mean that had to have been kind of a little bit unexpected to have almost the entire market disappear, and you just have to pivot on the fly. Um, why? Why? French Polynesia, why resorts? Why that?
1: Oh, it was um as always in life, I guess it was coincidence. Um, because the I had during my first year of the study, I had done my my uh, summer internship at Royal Hausman. Royal Hausman is one of the most uh, famed uh, super yacht builders here in the Netherlands and uh, so I, I had a good network with these guys and when i then was uh, building the uh, solar electric speedboats um, we called them up and we said well can you do the data interface because that's something that yeah was beyond my uh, my scope of uh, of abilities at that time uh, and they were very, um, very uh, sophisticated in that. So uh, we collaborated on that one. And um, they literally were a, a an important subcontractor for this project. And eventually, I think two months after delivering this boat or, or launching it, uh, they, they called and they said, well, we have a customer of ours who has two yachts uh, from us, and he would like to do some electric boat projects in New Zealand. And he called us because, oh they, they he called uh, Royal Houseman because at that time, this is 2008 we're talking about, they had just launched Ethereal. Ethereal is the first hybrid slash battery powered yacht, super yacht that's out there. And uh, they were the first to do it. So he, he called them because yeah, he was planning on doing something with electric propulsion as well. But they said, well, you know, we'll. We're building superyachts. We're not uh, into Polynesian voyaging catamarans, uh, but we know a company that can help you, and that was me. Mm. So I got to know um, the gentleman, and a week later I was on a plane to New Zealand. (laughs) So (laughs) it literally just happens, uh, yeah, via networking, via nearly on coincidence, I guess. We measured in the first boat, which. Back then, just came out of the shed, and they had a, a nom- normal Yamaha outboard 60 horse between the hulls, and just propelling it. And we measured it, and, uh, determined whether it was possible or not to to use electric propulsion for that. And yeah, it turned turned out to be a, a suitable boat. Um, it is a catamaran design. Uh, I mean, it's it's definitely made for sailing and not for electric propulsion. But we had to work around that and. This is uh, where we uh, started heavily uh, building the, the drivetrains and the battery systems um, from this project onwards. And it, it literally went hand in hand. I mean, the yacht show happened, uh, in, in, I think, in December. I got the call from Oral Houseman And uh, in January, I was in New Zealand. I didn't really have to switch anything uh, 180 degrees because we already did both. The only thing that I didn't do... For that project, obviously, was designing the hull line mm-hmm. because it was already there. So, in essence, it's a it's not a conversion because they're new built vessels, but the design was already there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, of course, it can be optimized uh, by further optimizing the lines for electric propulsion, but that defeats the purpose of this project because it is a a voyaging
0: sailing catamaran. Mm-hmm. But did that prove? Did that kind of prove the model that? in in this type of environment where you have you know any type of resort you need to get around on a boat everywhere you could prove that an electric motor could do it
1: yeah basically it, it did because um as i was mentioning uh, they they did a they did a lot of uh, uh yeah trans-ocean passages with these kind of boats and um when the fleet of these boats arrived in french polynesia Uh, We were invited on a lagoon cruise in in the neighboring island of Moria, and this obviously was happening through one of the traditional tourist excursion catamarans. and this is the moment, that was the moment when I thought, well, this is kind of strange, we've just come across the ocean from New Zealand, 30 days and nights, spending not a single drop of fuel, and now we're here inside the lagoon, where all the beautiful life and the fish and the asset is uh, what the tourists come for, um, and we're, literally you could you can see that we're destroying it by these daily excursion boats with their outboards, two times hundred forty horse in the back or, or two hundred horse in the back, and they're not going fast because you're there on a on a cruise to enjoy the lagoon. It's only that in in some rare cases they have to floor it because I don't know a storm is coming or whatever, but. Mm-hmm. It, usually on a day-to-day basis it, it doesn't happen that was the moment when i thought well this has to there has to be a better way and that's literally the foundation for the for the soul Cat 12 which is our lagoon excursion uh solar electric uh, catamaran that can take you on beautiful uh, trips um through through any lagoon whether it's uh, the maldives whether it's french Polynesia, whether it's the, the, uh, the Miami waters, uh, doesn't matter. Okay, it's not a Lagoon Miami, but you get my point. Just to enjoy the trip instead of uh, listening to, to some uh, screaming outboards behind you and not using a single drop of fuel. So that's, that's basically the aha moment when we thought, well, if we can do trans-ocean crossings uh, without a drop of fuel, then I'm sure we can do something inside of the lagoon where it really counts because that's where the life is.
0: Yeah, and, and a lot of it, I mean, they, they get around, it's like they're kind of vehicle almost, right? Like in, in some of these areas, they don't, they don't have cars, they have boats instead.
1: Very, uh, very true. Um, the resorts that we cater uh, with our boats, they um, it's not unusual for them to have fuel bills for their conventional fleet of uh, 700 to $800,000 uh, annually. And this is obviously where yeah, a great return of investment can be achieved when switching to electric. The annual fuel cost, uh, if I can say fuel, I, I should say the annual uh, uh, power utility uh, cost that they will have with, with electric boats uh, changes from if you have a fleet of five boats operating on a daily basis, uh, which is roughly seven to $800,000. If you change that to um, three electric boats, because they're bigger, they can take more passengers, so you don't have to use Mm -hmm. that many boats. Then you change that to roughly four thousand dollars a year, just on electricity, and that's it. Four. And this is yeah, yeah. And that is if you if you don't have your own solar farm next to the resort, which nowadays nearly every resort is starting to do that. So if you produce on land where, you, where it's much easier and much um, cheaper to produce uh, um, uh, big amounts of, of solar energy because you have the space and you don't have any weight uh, constraints on board, then yeah, it, it really makes sense. Uh, I mean, it already makes sense if you don't have the solar farm, but if you have the solar farm and if you extend that to a uh, to a stage where it covers 100% of what the boat uh, consumes, then you're not only a uh, cost neutral, but yeah, you, you, you're, you've maximized your profit as an operator ginormously, because it doesn't matter whether you can take, whether you take one guest on a, on a, a lagoon cruise, or whether you take 20, you're already making money with just one paying guest, because there is no fuel cost. I mean, one 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 full charge uh, on a boat is roughly between four and six dollars. Wow! That's and amazing. this is this is with the expensive utility costs at, for example, French Polynesia. Mm-hmm. So go to the U.S. and
0: you will find yourself with way cheaper prices again. Wow! And and when you're so when you figured this out and you went, wow, this is not only a profitable venture, but you know, from the ocean sustainability side of the water that you're kind of in, what does that kind of do? Do you have any kind of more technicalities around, you know, what combustion engines have traditionally done in the water versus electric? Well,
1: combustion engine uh, uh, yeah, systems, they, they obviously produce CO2 that they dump into the ocean itself. Uh, the exhausts are mainly underwater, or if it's not underwater, it falls into the water because it's heavier. Um, and it it leads to an effect that's called ocean acidification so it becomes more acidative and that literally dissolves uh, the corals so um, this problem you obviously don't have if you use an electric boat with sustainable produced power Uh, of course if it's based on a on a diesel plant or something uh, that produces the power then it's Nearly the same, um, but yeah. If you're talking about PV farms, wind farms that produce the electricity, then then yeah, none of that um, acidification is happening because of you being out on the water. And that's, I guess, what it's all about. And that's also the reason why a Resort in, in uh, Bora Bora went for for a fleet of three uh, vessels from us. They're the they're the local. Uh, they are the the, the local um, hotel chain with five resorts in their portfolio and they said well we we don't do this for us to maximize the gains we do this for our children to be able to enjoy the lagoon as we have enjoyed it they have the foresight to to do that because they live there they literally live there and it's Mm -hmm. it's their land and their their lagoon which they grew up with so it it takes kind of these um approaches or these this kind of uh, uh, foresight to do the mental switch away from well uh, range anxiety is the electric boat good enough for our application well it, it turned out the electric boat was way better for their application than what they could have ever mm-hmm. dreamed of because they're now getting guests that they would not have had if they would have kept their their traditional boats i mean mm-hmm. they, they get guests from much higher uh, ranked uh, resorts like the four seasons or the sun rages which are totally different price level mm-hmm. um but yeah these these guests i mean you, you know all about it the, the the vloggers the bloggers the the mm-hmm. influencers they want the cool stuff mm-hmm. well this is the cool stuff so that yeah they're specifically now visiting these resorts for
0: uh, our boats well and i think the coolest thing about it is um, you know you're also supporting a lot of the wildlife that lives in and around that coral. Um, I think a lot of people miss the fact that when coral dies so much gets affected with it. I mean it's almost like a underwater hurricane or tornado that rips out entire neighborhoods on land. Um, you know the, the fish don't have anywhere to go um, and I think that it's so interesting to see that change.
1: Yeah, that's, that's very true. And I mean, it is literally like uh, land ripping away because if the coral is gone, then there's nothing. Uh, if the reef is gone, then nothing is holding back the, the big waves uh, from crushing uh, the, the land and, and literally, um, yeah, taking the, the, the sand and, and dumping it somewhere else. So you literally see the land erosion. Uh, if if the uh, if the reef isn't healthy, you, you definitely see land erosion happening after that.
0: Yeah. When you guys, um, so you guys, kind of mastered that, that size boat, um, you guys started going bigger and now you guys are going much bigger. So what was that process like of designing systems for a bigger boat, longer tracks, everything like that?
1: It's a natural way of taking these, these steps, uh, as everything in life, it it gets bigger and bigger and the demands from the customers get, get higher and higher. And we're just literally answering uh, the, to the demands of, of our customers. So we've recently uh, launched two Bureau Veritas certified uh, class vessels, uh, passenger vessels, and they will take uh, 24 passengers plus two crew. Um, so this is obviously a, a big step um, to do commercial electric boats because there's very few around, uh, certainly built on the Bureau Veritas. But you have to obviously follow the, the, the rules of these uh, notified bodies, whether it's DNVGL or whether it's Bureau Veritas or whether it's uh, Lloyd's.
0: What are the differences between those um, for those that don't know?
1: Well, basically, you have notified bodies are a rules and regulations authority. And France, for example, they have Bureau Veritas. So uh, Bureau Veritas is a French organization. Uh, DNV, that Norske Veritas is a uh, Scandinavian organization, and they, they were combined with Germanische Lloyd, GL, so now it's DNVGL. GL. Um, you have uh, RENA out of uh, the UK, and you have uh, CCS in, in China. These are all bodies that, that govern and rule the, the, the rules and regulations that are in place for certain types of vessels, passenger vessels being an example. And when you build these specific vessels, you literally have to have surveyors from these notified bodies on site. So they come on a daily basis, not daily, but weekly basis and, mm-hmm. um, and inspect the build, test right. the materials. They do burn off samples with the, with the composite materials that we use to determine whether it's all according to the rules and regulations, whether uh, there's enough resin in there, et cetera, et cetera, St- structural uh, integrity material integrity, it all has to be certified products. Mm-hmm. And um, they're literally the, the watchdog that that keeps an eye on all these different aspects. So in the end, you get the stamp, okay, this is a certified uh, vessel. And there's not much difference between these individual governing bodies. It's just that different countries work with, with different or have different uh, um, organizations and internationally, they are accepting another's or each other's verdict. So if if the boat is accredited as a Bureau of Veritas certified passenger vessel, then it's automatically also a DNV GL that has to accept the fact that it's a, so it's an an international, not standard, but standardized uh, system on, on how to do Uh, commercial vessels specific vessels where uh, you fall outside of the 12 passenger rule because up to 12 passengers you can be a non-commercial vessel so that's the reason why most of the yacht charters allow up to 12 passengers and not more if it's more than 12 it's a whole different game much more difficult to to follow so building yachts is quite easy and um, talking about yachts yeah that's this is uh, one of the biggest projects we're doing right now uh, in development are two 60 foot uh, yachts, um, solar electric of course there will be um, a diesel gen set on board to uh, to allow longer passengers but the goal is to minimize the running time of that one so it's um, but it, it's it, this is the struggle I was talking about i mean it's, it's nearly impossible to to answer all the demands of the of the customers or to, to fulfill every wish who would like to have zero running hours on the genset and doing everything from the solar roof. But it's just too power hungry. I mean, just mm-hmm. electrically cooking or air conditioning, specifically in the American market, uh, air conditioning is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a very power hungry utility. And so in, in those cases, the hotel loads alone are enough to uh, to to eat up literally everything that we get out of the solar array and it's well, on this yacht it's going to be 64 uh, square meters and yeah we we get about 15 uh, kilowatt peak out of it which yeah. if you switch everything on if you're cooking electrically or you're doing ac or you're, the washing machine is running and, and stuff like that lights are on yeah it's it's gonna burn through that pretty quick, and there's not much left for uh, for running the boat. But then again, a yacht is all about, of course, also enjoying while being at anchor. So you can kind of the silent nights, no genset running because it's all taken care of by the battery pack, and then you charge up your batteries during the day when you're when you're out for a swim or a snorkel or whatever, and then um, when it's time to go to your next uh, anchor spot, yeah, you just um, cruise along uh, electrically and 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 enjoy the silence. But if you want to do 6 8 hour passages of course yeah and eventually the the diesel has to kick in and and support the uh, the battery charge.
0: And do you think that's that's part of just time and engineering in order to get battery efficiency solar cell efficiency or is it kind of more of the equation of consumption is it is it or is it a bit of both where we have to kind of rethink how do we need all the AC, all the lights, all the cooking all at once?
1: Very good question. Um, it's it's a combination, but there also there are big challenges because uh, consumption never tends to go down it tends to go up because we get more and more devices on board uh, more and more toys whether it's the electric uh, um, cbop or or any of these or electric jet ski in the future who knows um i mean there's the, the, the the world is becoming more and more power hungry by the day because we add so many devices from smartphones smart everything i mean everything has to be smart these days but yes on the other hand All these companies develop more efficient gear each year so um, if you look at what a fridge uses these days compared to what a fridge uses uh, on on an annual basis kilowatt hours wise from a fridge uh, 10 years ago yeah of course it's much more energy efficient but there's 10 more fridges per per head out there so it's i I don't think that we have to find the solution in limiting the power hungriness that the world has It's more about the innovations uh, on the technical side that that will enable these kind of things to to switch entirely to not a single drop of fuel. And what I mean by that is the solar industry roughly adds uh, half to 1% each year of efficiency to the panels. And yes, there are, of course, disruptive technologies uh, out there in the labs where suddenly you're not Gaining an uh, efficiency by one percent or two percent, but where you gain efficiency by a factor of eighty percent more because they they manage to combine uh, two layers of solar cells on top of each other. So you're not know, having once the output, but twice. And yes, of course, you lose some some uh, some of the power in the first uh, layer, and then only a reduced amount can can hit the second. But this kind of these kind of things are in the making. When we can buy them, that's. The big question, of course. And the same happens in the battery world. The energy and the specific weight of the batteries that, that tends to become better and better each year. Um, but they are on a much slower cycle. They are not like computers that or computer chips that that double mm-hmm. their power every, uh, every two years. Um, that's not the case with batteries. But yeah, of course, there are the disruptive technologies on the horizon as well, like solid-state batteries that suddenly enable charging within five minutes which can have instead of 200 watt hours per liter can have 600 or even a thousand so you're you're literally talking about tripling or, or or quadrupling um the uh the energy that you can take on board while maintaining the same weight and the same volume and these are, of course, game changers, because then even for the boating industry, the same thing would happen what Tesla has done for the automotive industry, that suddenly the electric car can go as far as a gas-powered car. Um, this is not yet true for the uh, boating market, just because of the fact that boats are too power-hungry to, to mm. be able to maintain that. You would need a battery pack that's bigger than your boat and heavier than your boat to uh achieve that but then of course you cannot achieve these kind of speeds an impossible uh, thing to solve at the moment but uh, what we're doing is literally uh, engineering it to the point where you get the best and most efficient result with the -the state-of-the-art technology that we have available uh, today between the project that we've done uh, just now, the, the two Biruvelta shuttles and um, uh, now, which is a time frame of five months, the new generation of, of battery cell has been released and it's an increase by 12% of uh, wow. of what energy density is. So that's great because that means 12% more range for the customer.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I've been reading a lot about that solid state battery technology because it, I mean, it is a game changer, but if you can increase that range and you can increase the efficiency of that battery, it overcomes the combustion engine, um, in terms of on land. Um, I think on water, I mean, would that be the biggest game changer for you guys to be able to get rid of that diesel gen in there would be a solid state battery, or is it just going to be a time will tell?
1: Um, whether it's the solid state battery or whether it's a a, a new shape of, uh, or, or new, Uh, chemistry of battery that that we haven't heard of yet this is what time will tell but definitely once we talk about an increase uh, for the specific um, energy uh, density of factor 2x 3x 4x from the max 210 220 watt hours per per liter that we have these days yes that's that's what you need in order to get rid of your uh, your genset or to Barely have it running. Barely mm-hmm. have it running at the moment. If you uh, look at some of the electric uh, boats out there, they have the genset running every day, uh, five mm-hmm. hours plus, which kind of defeats the purpose. If if you ask opinion about that, because it, yeah, then it's just it's just a nice uh, a gimmick, but it's not what it should be. And so the integral approach is, is missing from that one, I guess. And this is what we've mastered through the last 15 years, um, doing what we're doing, that everything we, we do, it's literally <laughs> integrated to the max. But in the end, it's a customer de- decision. Um, all we can do is try our best to optimize for what we are given from the operational profile, from the budget, from... Um, uh, to, to, yeah, the, the, the hull shape and the, the space we have on board, uh, mm-hmm. the, the weight budget is also a big one because batteries are heavy. Are you preferring to take more batteries, IE longer range, or are you preferring to do something else with the space on board? It, it entirely depends on the, uh, the customer.
0: Wow. And, and when you, I mean, you've been doing this for 15 years. I mean, that it, it was before really electric was a major topic of conversation. I mean that that type of innovation, that type of time, I mean, and you can dive into this if you want. Um, but we briefly talked about in our last conversation around why the propeller, like that there's drag.
1: I think that part of the equation on how to solve future electric propulsion in the boating space, definitely has to do something with okay so what does the propeller do and how does it actually work because it's it's not a it's not a um a device that is made for really high rpm and one of the biggest benefits of an electric propulsion system is these electric motors can be tiny and deliver still the same amount of power but then the rpm goes up because power is rpm times torque so If you know the torque of a machine and you multiply it by the RPM, uh, then you literally get the the, the power. But as long as we're bound to having a propeller in direct drive scenarios without using a gearbox, obviously, because that's only losses and noise and and maintenance with oil inside and horrible stuff, uh, we don't want that. So as long as it is direct drive, you don't want any reduction uh, gears between it. You are stuck with... Having to use an electric machine, an electric motor that that gives you the RPM that you need, for example, 1500 RPM. Well, 1500 RPM is not a lot for an electric motor because electric motors easily can go up to 10,000 RPM, mm-hmm. no problem. And to give you an example, a, a machine that does, let's just take 100 kilowatts um, at 1500 RPM. That weighs roughly. 150 kilograms. If you're talking about a, a medium duty machine or if you're talking about a heavy duty machine, you're talking about 280 kilograms. If you increase the speed to 10,000 RPM, uh, or if you're able to increase the speed to 10,000 RPM, then the motor weight will be 30 to 40 kilograms. So you have a huge weight saving uh, possibility, but yeah, then you can't use a prop. So, um, we've been thinking about, uh, about this, um, a lot and have something in the making where we think that it would be a much better solution, but yeah, we have to get rid of, of that propeller because the propeller is literally just a wing that's, um, that's moving through the water and inducing, inducing the drag and propelling the boat uh, forward. So, because that will hit its cavitation boundary when, when exceeding uh, the, the RPM and, and the boat would stop moving. It would just uh, spin yeah, spin, uh, spin, the propeller in, in,
0: uh, in super cavitation and then it, it dissolves. <laughs> Where does Seoul Yachts come from? How'd you come up with the name? Is it based on Sun? Is it dive in a little bit to the brand that, that you've built?
1: Soul yards um, is basically the combination of, of two words, or soul is the combination of two words. It's solar and it's electric. That's why it's spelled S O E L. And there's also wordplay in it because in the naval jargon, um, yeah, a boat has to have a soul. Pronounce it soul yards because, yeah, that's, that's uh, what we think makes the most sense yes it's a name you, ha- you have to spell and you have to explain but yeah it's uh it's it's a it's a nice catchy name We think um certainly with the meaning behind it and i guess if you just literally pull together these two words solar and electric you you end up with soul anyway so yeah that's uh, that's where it comes from the brand soul Yards yeah, so it is really our, our vehicle for our own designs where we do all the design, the branding, the naval architecture. We, we call it specifically electric naval architecture, uh, what we do on a daily basis. And that, that enables us to let go of any of the shortcomings that we would have with conversions if customers ask us to, to convert. Just like the project in French Polynesia with the Voyaging cameras where the hull shape was already given. It definitely is not 100% perfect for electric propulsion, but it, it works, but there's room for improvement. So um, that's the reason why we, we literally incorporated sole yachts and and uh, design from the commercial boats to the to the yacht versions that we that we have currently in the portfolio. Particularly the the yacht portfolio is where uh, obviously the name makes sense. Sole Yachts. We, we thought a lot about it, whether we should call it sole Boats or Sol something, but yeah, Sol Yachts has the more elegant touch to it. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> and given the fact that we do offer um, the commercial side uh, as well as the the yachts yeah it, it makes sense to um,
0: to stick to that do you uh, do you have a goal of going back to the Monaco yacht show um, or or possibly pull in to the harbor when it's formula one weekend yeah definitely Um
1: uh, yeah, of course, that's uh, that's the goal. I mean, the the yacht shows uh, down in the south of France, whether it's the Cannes Yachting Festival or whether it's the Monarchy Yacht Show. Uh, the Monarchy Yacht Show is really for um, for a different class of yacht. I would say this is more for the super yachts. So if you're below thirty or forty meters, yeah, it's uh, it's questionable whether <laughs> whether you're on the right spot. And uh, I guess it takes uh, um, a couple more years before uh, we we offer a, a yacht that's that big though technology wise yeah we we can we can make that that's not the issue but i guess it's customer demand that will Mm -hmm. have to grow with the current movement Um, look at it uh, in the same way as the tesla semi truck and the tesla normal car Uh, Mm -hmm. i mean they didn't start with the semi they started with a very specific car the roadster and then just moved there their way through um, high-class uh, um, luxury car to now the Model 3, um, which is much more accessible. So yeah, you, you need critical mass behind uh, market demand in order to, um, to make something happen. But yeah, the, the Cannes Yachting Festival is definitely on the agenda for us um, the moment we have the 60-foot uh, the uh, boats ready. But also we hope to, um, to take one of them to the, uh, to the Miami uh, Boat Show because that's a very interesting market for us. And yeah, we can't wait to, to bring that um, also over to the US.
0: Yeah, when it comes to expansion of the company, I mean, that the yachting market obviously is a global thing. Is it Miami? Is it West Coast? Um, you know, is it Australia? Where do you guys look to kind of expand as you guys continue to grow?
1: It, it doesn't really matter where we look. There's always <laughs> there's everywhere room to grow. Um, that's that's the thing. I mean, if we look at the uh, the demographics of how um, how our website is used, then yeah, the 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 US is definitely uh, one of the biggest uh, um, parts where the traffic comes from. I see. East Coast, Miami, Bahamas, uh, that, that's definitely a, a, a huge market. I guess it's a good starting point because it's on this side of the pond um, from Europe. Um, but yeah, we also get inquiries from, uh, from up north, uh, the, 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 the Great Lakes. I mean, that's, that's also something to us. It, it doesn't really matter where we start the adventure, but it has to start. Um, and the expansion has to happen. Uh, because yeah, the, the, the market asks for it. It doesn't matter where we uh, where we look. It's it, you, we can find the right applications nearly everywhere where there's water. Whether it's a resort in the Maldives, whether it's a private uh, person in Australia mm-hmm. who wants to just cruise uh, Sydney Harbour waters, or whether it's um, <laughs> whether it's in French Polynesia because uh, resorts uh cater for the guests with the airport pickup with electric boats i mean it's or well, whether it's in the mediterranean where a private owner would like to to go to uh, croatia on a trip with his 60 uh, foot yacht or or, or an 80 foot yacht mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter um they're, they're literally everywhere <laughs> and um <laughs> this is very nice on the one hand but it's also challenging on the other because yeah you you need to be able to um to answer these uh, these demands but yeah yachting business is a very global market so it's, it's perfectly fine and, and normal to um to serve literally the the world market from a single or or, or two or three locations that's that's very commonly uh, done
0: what's your favorite part of just this whole process whether it's designing the boats growing the company Putting a 60-footer in the water, what's the favorite part for you?
1: It's really the combination of all of these different aspects. I guess my worst nightmare would be to have to sit in an office working for somebody and having to do the same job over and over again or something like that. I mean, that just kills creativity and um, it's it's not who I am. I really live for the complexity or the complexity solving, uh, I would say, because it's a very hard puzzle that we're solving, um, whether it's on the drivetrain basis, whether it's on the integral basis of Vessel Plus drivetrain, um, uh, or the the design of it, the the hydrodynamics, the the, uh, naval architecture behind it. I mean, these are all very difficult puzzles to solve. And you have to literally zoom out now and look at all these different puzzles, which are quite hard on themselves. But you have to now solve it integrally for all of them, because that's what the customer asks you give me a lot that works perfectly for what I intend to use, uh, to use it for. That's really, really cool to do on a daily basis. Uh, we see a lot of the world, obviously that's, that's very cool as well. Yeah. Growing the business. I mean, the whole business side of it, uh, I, I live for that as well. I mean, I, I love it. It's, um, it was, it's, it's literally a passion that, um, that I'm pursuing on a daily basis, whether it's on the boating side the system side or whether it's on the uh, on the business side of things it's a, a great challenge that that keeps me uh on the edge of my chair uh just literally yeah going for all these challenges and then that's really uh, really nice that's really and cool of, and of course the great people that we uh, that we meet i mean there's mm-hmm. a fantastic uh, group of, of uh, clients that we have and and they're very interesting characters uh, as you can imagine so yeah that's that's a very cool side effect of it as well which is not to be underestimated
0: for you i mean you grew up mentioning these you know incredible naval architects that that are from the netherlands and have you met any of them and 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 been able to talk about what what you've been able to design i mean you don't strike me as someone who like, you're very, very humble in, in how you are um, and the work that you do. But I would imagine, like, meeting some of your heroes in, in design would probably be pretty cool.
1: I've actually met pretty much all of them. And that's because uh, during the studies of naval architecture, um, yeah, the, the maritime industry in the Netherlands is tiny. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's like a classroom feeling. Um, I mentioned this already when when talking about the study itself. But literally, the industry is like a classroom feeling as well. So there's very very um, short lines to to all these different characters and, and players in the market, uh, whether it's the super yacht builders, uh, whether it's the naval architects, um, mm. yeah, it's 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 and and also by the way on a on a European or even global scale. I mean, mm. we we frequently went on uh, on trips to, for example, Finland or whatever, and visited all the maritime industries there, and <laughs> um, th- this is. This is a really cool part of, of what the, the study association uh, did um, for naval architecture. And um, uh, in my third year of studying, I was, I, I was lucky enough to, uh, to be able to be the chairman of that study association. In the Netherlands, It you do this as a full-time job. Sort of. Um, so you literally uh, don't study for a year. You only do that. And yeah, on the sideline, I had done my my business <laughs> <laughs> as well. So um, I, I met a lot of them. And yeah, it's I, I'm not the person who would uh, who would uh, just stare in an awe and, and, and be a flabbergast or something. Uh, it, it's it's really cool to, to talk to them about stuff and um, yeah. and uh, be able to uh, to discuss some ideas. Um, uh yeah that, that definitely ha- has
0: happened i mean i think that would be the coolest part is just just learning i mean even from my industry i mean i've i've worked with a lot of people that would be considered you know famous and whatever they do and you know at the end of the day people are people and they they all have an incredible story and so to be able to learn from them and just be like wow what what did you do in that moment um, i think would be just so cool to to learn those kind of things what's your hope just for you know, that the future of yachting, is it just electric? Is it electric and sailing? Is it everybody gets to experience what it's like to be on the water? What's kind of your hope and your impact that you want to have?
1: Well, um, sailing, you will always obviously keep because people want to want to do want to go sailing. And Mm -hmm. I perfectly understand uh, being a sailor myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's very hard to to say, all right, everybody has to sail now because that saves the planet. That's, that's not how it's going to work because with sailing, you cannot stick to any schedule. You're, you're literally uh, <laughs> bound to, well, how the winds blow. Uh, so there is obviously a space where motor vessels uh, make sense. And my hope is that with the maritime industry obviously always lagging behind the automotive industry by, well, let's say between 15 and 20 years, that... The transition happens quicker than that, because uh, I don't think that we should wait another fifteen years or something before the boating industry should pick up on on clearly what is the way to go. Yes, there are big challenges ahead on on how to solve the uh, the the energy equation. Uh, I mean. How do you get that much energy on board? So Yeah, there's there's also the whole uh, debate about well, what alternative fuels do we have uh, apart from or not fuels, but but energy storage uh, uh, systems. So th- there is different stuff out there, obviously, and and uh, there's heavy development behind that. So yeah, if you ask me, my hope is that the 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 real critical mass gets behind it quicker than usually than what it usually takes for the maritime industry to to pick up um something that clearly is the way for
0: yeah that's awesome um so to wrap things up how can people kind of learn more about soul yachts get in touch with you um maybe see one in person what would be the kind of the best way to to get connected
1: well, to get connected, of course, it starts with uh, with our website solyards.com. Uh, you can you can find a lot of information about us, and it's literally as simple as uh, dropping us an email at uh, info@solyards.com and and get in touch with us. I mean, that's uh, that's what we're here for, and yeah, we can't wait to. Uh, to work on uh, on more exciting projects, it's all about experience, and um, um, we're we're literally working full throttle uh, now on on getting boats out there uh, in the Mediterranean um, for people to uh, to experience. And you have to see it and touch it and feel it with with your own senses, I guess, in order to fully immerse yourself in that in that experience that it is.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you seriously for taking the time and jumping in on this podcast, like learning so much from you on the naval architecture side. And just the fact that you've been innovating in this space for 15 years already, uh, I think is a testament to how much impact I think Sol Yachts is going to have in the future as the world kind of catches up to this idea that, you know, you've been kind of on board with since you were, you know, 12. (laughs) So true. Thanks. Yeah.
1: Very much, and, and very kind words, yeah. I mean, it's it's been a hell of a, a journey and um, there's uh, more cool stuff to, to come in the future and I can't wait.
0: It was really fun to have David on the show. Incredible to talk about, you know, yachts, cars, electric, propulsion systems. I mean, just so many fun concepts. And, you know, it just goes to show that like there's, there's so much cool stuff that's happening right now in the sustainability space. And I think the best part is that we're, we're kind of at the beginning. I mean, this is almost like, you know, internet in 1999. I mean, this is, this is some excitement that can happen. There's, there's space to innovate in all these different areas of life. Um, and that's just part of the bigger sustainability picture that, you know, we're all part of. And I think that David, what he's been working on for all these years is just an incredible product. Till next episode, thanks again for listening to Sustainable Go.